This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber. An object can reveal a hidden history. A woven basket, a shield, a canoe paddle. Each can tell a rich story. And those stories can be a way to learn about the past, to remember and to connect to people, places and identities. Imelda Miller is the curator of First Nations Cultures at Queensland Museum. Her custom collection sheds light on the lives of South Sea Islanders, including her ancestors, who were often coerced and kidnapped to work on plantations in Australia from the 1860s for little or no money. The practice is now known as blackbirding. Imelda, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Bobby. Lovely to be here. Imelda, you've just reconnected with an object for the collection, a piece of artwork by a South Sea Islander elder. Who is it by and what does it depict? Yeah, Bobby, um, the artwork came... Uh, I found the artwork about a couple of weeks ago uh, while I was trying to look for some more stories in the Queensland Museum collection. And um, it's actually by an elder who has passed, Annie Mabel Edmund, and she did the artwork back in the 90s. Um, And the work is of a blackbirding ship. So it's got yellow sails, it's got a brown... Um, the background has depictions of animals from the reef, almost done with Aboriginal designs and is like of very different colours. So it looks like you're looking at the reef in the background. And it's so beautiful. And when I look at it, you know, I, I knew Annie Mabel and I was a child at that time and um, I have, you know, memories of her. And when I look at the painting, I can see this connection between her South Islander story and her her family stories, and also this grounding of her family story um, from Durrumbul country, so around Rockhampton. And I think she's brought them both together really lovely in this depiction. And the artwork, I think, you know, when I look at it, I think about our creative ancestors who we might have not seen as being creative in the past or have not had space to talk about being creative. And um, it really then made me think of our contemporary artists today to try and think about, you know, how can we bring these two uh, narratives together, you know, so that we can talk about uh, our history from the past and into the future. Mm. Beautiful is an interesting description for a ship like that, a blackbirding ship. Where did those blackbirding boats sail to? The blackbirding ships uh, had sailed, in, the, in our case, around the Pacific, um, between the islands, you know, around Melanesia. So from Vanuatu to the Solomons to Fiji, New Caledonia, um, as well as Kiribati and New Island province of PNG. So there were many boats sailing around the Pacific looking for labour for the Australian sugar industry. Oh, how many people were taken? There was there was sixty thousand, approximately sixty thousand people taken from across the Pacific, from all ages. There were men, women, and children, 
And not many people really know much about this history. So um, people were, a lot of people, some people know that they're from Vanuatu and the Solomons, but people don't know about the other islands, you know, Kiribati and Fiji and New Caledonia and even PNG. So um, it's really important to get these stories out there and make those connections for people. What do we know about the circumstances under which they came to Australia? So Celsi Islanders were originally brought here to work in the Australian sugar industry. They were blackbirded here and some came by choice. Um, Blackbirding is the practice of coercion or trickery to get people on board boats Um, and even some of these conditions were akin to slavery. Today in terms of, you know, I like to refer to it as the slave trade and that people did knowingly or unknowingly engage in this work. Mm. And when they came to Australia, I think, you know, the conditions weren't that clear. So they were coming here under three-year contracts to work in the sugar industry. They were employed and then their contracts were either renewed or they were sent back to the islands. Imelda, you talked about the sugar industry. There's a cane knife in the collection that speaks directly to that What does that knife look like and feel like? The cane knife in the museum, it's it's a really interesting object. It's quite well balanced in weight. Um, It has a wooden handle and a steel blade that is actually bent at the end. That bend is so it was accustomed to their swing when they were cutting cane. And when you feel it, you can feel the weight of it and you can see that some of this labour, you know, to cut cane, it must have been hard labour and hard work. Mm. And this object was actually donated to the Queensland Museum by an Australian South Sea Islander um, from the Mackay region. And I think that object tells some really interesting stories about people in place, um, that there are South Sea Islanders still living in that area, in Ericala, in Mackay, Queensland, and that that, you know, and it talks to, there is a connection, that, that family will have a connection back to the Pacific Islands. And this object talks to those stories, you know, it's a physical representation of those stories. But, you know, I think that the, and, and, and you know, although used by many people, this particular cane knife came from an Australian Celsius Islander. And I think that's the important connection to make. Hmm. So South Sea Islanders established the sugar industry. Many ended up setting their lives in Australia. Then a law was passed in 1901. What happened? In 1901, Bobby, there was something like 10,000 South Sea Islanders here in in Australia, working, living, um, you know, They've got families and they're making a life for themselves here. And in 1901, uh, with the introduction of the White Australia policy, a new act was put into action, which actually ordered the deportation of Celsius Islanders back to the home islands. And I believe this to be one of the biggest deportations in Australia's history. Wow. Uh, How many remained in Australia? There was something like uh, 1,500, 1,700 people who remained here in Australia, those that are 
that, you know, have been counted. There are other people reported to be hiding in the bushes, etc. And then today, Celsius Islanders or Australian Celsius Islanders are the descendants of those who remain behind. Including some of your ancestors? Including some of my ancestors. What have you discovered about where your ancestors are from? Oh, I've been on a little journey, actually, uh, discovering where my family's from. And, um, well, I know that, for instance, um, some of my family is from Ambram, from a village called Wakon Village. And I know that because we still have the name in our family names um, that have been passed along. So... I know, I know when my grandmother is alive, she went back to that village and she felt like she saw all of her, you know, all of us running around in the village, which was <laughs> quite really lovely to hear and that, that she got to go back there because this was a place uh, her grandfather um, had spoken about and she'd always wanted to go back there and see the place that he talked to her about. And then um, I also know that I have family from Malakula and mm. and Tanner as well. But some of my research, it sort of comes to a bit of a dead end because we're not able to find our stories um, in the archives because the name changes. Because, you know, with a surname like Miller, um, <laughs> it's very common and it, it doesn't sound very Celsius Islander-ish. Um, but I do know there are island names, but they get lost in the archival record, unfortunately. Oh, how, how do you grapple with not knowing, with hitting that dead end? Yeah, it's it's really hard sometimes, Bobby, because, you know, I think their society, you know, puts a pressure on you to know who you are. And when you don't know who you are or you don't know those connections, um, it's, 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 it's a difficult thing to, I think, uh, to come to terms with. Um, but then you have to grow confidence in knowing who you are today. And I think that is the kind of work I'm interested in is trying to create pathways for people to talk about their identity or identities, as I like to say, Mm. Um, and and make a way for them to just start the conversation um, because I think people get lost sometimes in that because they think they're alone, but there's many more of us who are on our searching journeys as well. Imelda, what about when you do make those connections? How does it feel to connect with an object from the place of your ancestors? Yeah, connecting with the objects from the place of our ancestors, it, it's, it's a powerful thing. Um, I first started working at the museum in the 90s, and I'm not going to say how old I am, <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you know, when I first saw all the objects, I was just like, ah, oh, how do we not know about all these things? And I was like really passionate about kind of getting some context to it. And I realised that some of these objects had come from the islands, you know, on boats that were um, our ancestors were on and they were donated by the collector, um, you know, collectors and donors were like captains of labour ship vessels and they were government agents and immigration agents. But, you know, and I thought, where's all our people in these stories with these objects? Because I thought at that time there wasn't all the, there's not many physical markers in the landscape that represent our stories and there still isn't today, but they are there. And, but we just need to, you know, 
be able to recognise that in some way. And that's what I think, what I work on at the Queensland Museum, which is the Australian South Islander Custom Collection. It's a, it's a connection. It's a physical representation of our identity, of that journey of our ancestors coming from those Pacific Islands and coming here to Australia. And, you know, it does raise a lot of questions about what happened to all these people. Where are they? And also, you know, I constantly think about how can I tell their stories so that they too become visible again. Imelda, there's also a wooden club in your collection. What kind of connection do you have with it? Oh, yes, Bobby, the wooden club. <laughs> <laughs> that was donated, well, donated in the 1890s and it's a beautiful, it's a long club. It's probably about a metre, just above a metre long um, it's heavy in weight and it's in the style of a club that comes from the island of Ambrum in Vanuatu. Now, the club is reported to have come from a South Carolina by the name of Wormeling, who worked for Mr. Tipler um, down on the Logan, which is just south of Brisbane. And through my research, we found out that Mr. Tipler had an oyster farm. Um, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> but I suppose I, I really connected to this club because my family is originally from Ambrim. Um, right. And at that time, I believe my ancestors from Ambrim were coming through the Logan area, which is south of Brisbane, at the same time as this club may have been coming into the museum. So I, I was really connected to it and I always wondered about Womley and who he was and and what he was doing. And when I found out that, you know, Mr. Tipler had a oyster farm, I thought, ah, oh, there's so many experiences and so many different stories about South Islanders that we just don't know. And also these stories are not visible to the wider audience. And so that's kind of started my passion of searching for our stories in these collections in big institutions. You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with South Sea Islander Imelda Miller, who is the curator of First Nations Cultures at Queensland Museum in Australia. Imelda, the custom collection tells us so much about the past. What's missing from it? Yeah, Bobby, um, good question. What is missing from the custom collection? The objects in the custom collection currently are more historical objects. So they are beautiful woven bags and there's some woven mats as well as waist garments. But then you also have like robust uh, bowls and you have clubs and you have lots of bows and arrows. So there's a lot of uh, men's objects, I suppose, and there's a little bit of women's objects in the in the collection, which makes me think about, does it match the kind of ratio of men to women that were bought over here? Um, but then I have to also reflect that some people were just children. So... Where, you know, where are those stories in in the collection as well? I think there's a lot of experiences that are not covered by the custom collection. When I first come into contact with it, I felt it was more about those who collected them. Um, it was about the ships that they came on. It was about who these people were, what kind of power they held. But it didn't talk 
to the people. And, you know, so the custom collection is missing people's names, like who who made this these objects, who made that club, who made that bow and arrow, who belonged to that basket, what were they carrying in that basket, and why were they carrying it. There's all this information that's not that's not there, um, which is very common for museum collections, by the way, yeah. especially historical ones. Um, and I do wonder what 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 was you know what were people bringing with them that was important to them, or what did they have to exchange for these objects? I don't know, and it's a bit of a mystery at the moment. But I think what today I see missing from the collection is more of our contemporary lived experiences. So looking at things like where where have where do our people work or where have they worked? How did they get to how did we get to where we are today? Um who were our community leaders? Um and it could be represented by the simplest things in everyday life from somebody's hat that they wore to the shoes that they walked in. It could be something that's handed down from generation to generation. Um, so there's, you know, there's lots of things missing from the, the collection. And I think it's important for us to be connected to these collections because they do have a way of telling our narrative for us. But I think it needs to be for us and by us. And so I think by engaging people in um, how we can represent our stories, I think that's mm. really important work that needs to be done today to try and fill those missing gaps. How can something like shoes tell a story of South Sea Islander experience? Well, it can tell you lots, Bobby. <laughs> Very- <laughs> But, you know, I think, you know, shoes, we think of shoes, oh, well, it's just somebody's shoes. But if it's a pair of shoes that somebody wore on recognition day um, and that's the person who stood up in front of everyone to talk about what it means to be an Australian South Sea Islander, you know, that, that context around those shoes is pretty important. And it's like, you know, it resembles the shoes that people walked in, literally. But it's also about, you know, talks to, you know, movement of people, you know, moving across landscapes. I mean, the fact that people probably had, you know, that person's shoes, they probably came from somewhere else on recognition day to be a part of this event that brought, that united the whole community because it was something they had waited for for a very long time to happen. And, you know, to have those achievements and those contributions acknowledged by a wider um by the wider community, and I think that, you know, and that's a simple pair of shoes. I mean, we have the recognition statement, which was a photocopied document on um, in 2000 when the Queensland government here in Australia recognised Australian South Sea Islanders, um, their, you know, contributions to all these different industries, but do we represent any of those things in the Queensland Museum? No, but that statement is in the collection and it will be there for the next 160 years or 500 years. Yeah. What other everyday objects have you observed that share these kind of histories? You know, I think there are a lot of objects that talk to these histories, you know, from people's shirts that they wear to family reunions. I'm going to a family reunion this weekend. <laughs> um, and, you know, pe- people are literally wearing their identity on their backs. And I th- 
I think that, you know, I, I love that display of pride and identity that, you know, you, and when you go over into North Queensland, everybody is wearing shirts and you can tell people what they've been to or what family they belong to just by the shirt that they're wearing. Um, and I think, you know, there's lots. And I think like, you know, even just uniforms, where people we, where people work, I think says a lot as well. You know, we've got a lot of nurses out there, a lot of teachers. And I think, the, you know, those occupations, you know, reflect what, you know, the nature of our people, you know, what was important to them, health, education, you know, I think that's all um, tied up in jobs. And I think like simple things like somebody's uniform really talks to, uh, you know, what people are doing, that we are professionals, that we are more than sugar today. And mm. into the future, you know, our, our children need to know that, you know, we have good expectations and we hope that we've set the foundations for the, you know, future generations to go forward. Mm. That's wonderful. You, you wouldn't think of that putting on a shirt, but it makes sense. Uh, there is an object of yours that already exists in the museum collection. It's a photograph. How does it tell the story of modern day South Sea Islanders in Australia? Yeah, Bobby, that photograph is um, of, from Recognition Day here in Queensland on the 7th of September 2000. Um, I was much younger then, uh, <laughs> 25 years, young, 24 years younger. And um, I took that photo unknowingly about what I was actually doing. You know, I thought I was just mm. taking a snapshot. I was just studying out my curatorial career. Um, I always loved taking photographs of people. And um, the photograph is of everybody sitting on the parliamentary lawn um, waiting for the ceremony for um, by the government of the time in bipartisan support to announce, you know, or to acknowledge South Carolina contributions to Queensland's history. And in that photo, there's like hundreds of people and there's all these elders seated in the grounds. And when you look at that photo now, well, when I look at that photo now, a lot of those elders have passed. Mm. And so this is a small, you know, it's a small thing, but it says a lot, you know, it talks about the people who were there, it talks about where people traveled from, um, you know, it talks about recognition and these, these people, these leaders, these elders who fought for us to have recognition and that they sacrificed, you know, a lot for us to have the identity that we do have today. How do you feel when you're looking at that photo today? When I look at that photo today, Bobby, it brings back lots of memories of some people who are still with us and some people who have passed. It reminds me of the importance of making sure that we have visibility, mm. um, that our stories have visibility, but people know that at that history, it's still a part of who we are today but it doesn't define us. You know, I think that our experiences are varied and there's no one story that talks to who who we are today as Australian Celsius the community. Um, but I also think back to our ancestors, all, 
all those people who some we might know whose names are in records, but some who are not listed in the record. And it makes me think about who they are, what their stories were, and that we should never remember the efforts and their sacrifices and their courage to do the things and make the decisions that they made so that we could have a future here in Australia. How much did that recognition mean to you, Imelda? I think, Bobby, at the time, the recognition, it meant a lot because I really felt like the community came together um, for a common cause. You could see a lot of pride in the community. It may, I, I certainly remember feeling very proud that day, um, seeing all our elders together, all those families connecting. Um, it, when I look back on it, I had such fond memories. It was such a special day. And I think, you know, any South Zealander who was there on that day will remember who they talked to and what they did. And um, I feel like it's, you know, and when I look at that photo now, even though that day it was just a photograph, today <laughs> it means so much more to me, yeah. What do you think that photo is going to mean to the next generation? I'm not too sure what it might mean, but I do I do hope it, it means that when they look, you know, if I think about someone looking back on it in another 25 years, that they can look back at it and go, that happened and now I've grown up with a, with a good concept of who I am as an Australian South Sea Islander, that even though I might have lots of different uh, identities, that they can be proud to be Australian South Sea Islander and that the wider community know a lot more about our history and heritage um, in 25 years' time. Imelda, leaving a footprint for the next generation, what does that mean? For me, leaving a footprint for the next generation is about leaving a legacy or, le- or leaving a, you know, a trail for them to, for the next generation to follow. Um, making sure we leave it, this place, this earth, a little bit better than what we found it. That the next generation won't have to do the, um, I suppose, the legwork around identity that we've all had to do through our, you know, the last couple of generations have had to do. How important is it to leave a footprint? I think it's really important. I think in the work that I do, leaving a footprint is, it's really important. I, I For my own personal self, um, doing what I do, leaving a footprint for the next generation to follow, that they will have something to guide them, that they will know how we felt um, this year, next year, um, about what we would like for their future, um, that they can come back that as a guiding point almost, you know, to know that we have faith in the next generation. We know they will do well. We hope that they don't forget where they come from, that they stay connected or connect with their, you know, the island connections, Mm. Um, that they reach out to the Pacific and make sure that we are connecting back in and we have those ties that remain strong, you know, even though some of us are still searching that they have something to build off to keep that momentum going. (sighs) 
Imelda, you're doing incredible work. Thank you so much for collecting these objects and ensuring the stories behind them are shared, ensuring people can reconnect. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me. That was Imelda Miller, Curator of Indigenous Cultures at the Queensland Museum in Australia. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. And to catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. This story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people. There are so many amazing stories from the Pacific episodes, like last week's interview with Samoan writer Sia Figuel. On the third show, our very own uh, Madam Prime Minister showed up for it. So, you know, the play has had just a very unexpected calibre of people showing up. I mean, I honestly did not expect that kind of uh, response from the public. If you've missed an episode of Stories from the Pacific, just search for the program wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.